good to see everybody here today. Praise Yahweh for your faithfulness to the Holy Convocation. Hebrews 10.25 Hallelujah. Fellowship is so important. Our opening text today is Exodus 22, 22-24. We've read it a lot the past several times that I've taught. This will be the last reading of it. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will burn, and I will kill you with a sword. Then your wives will be widows, and your children fatherless. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. That's a powerful text, isn't it? I mean, really, meditate on it. That's a powerful text. I sure do not want to be a reason that a widow or a fatherless child cries out to Yahweh in despair. We covered this text as well as some parallel scriptures in my last sermon that go along with this command. I want to encourage you to revisit all of the scriptures that we went over. You can revisit that sermon online from time to time so that you remind yourself how important it is to take care of widows and orphans when it is possible for you to do. It is truly one of the weightier matters in Yahweh's law and His instructions. This is right at the top of the weightier matters in Yahweh's law. Today we're going to look at the parameters about giving to widows. We're going to do this by going to 1 Timothy chapter 5. You can turn there if you'd like. I will have the verses on the screen. You may want to make notes as we go through it though. Paul, an apostle of Yeshua. Apostle, the Greek word apostello means one who is sent out. So the sender is the Messiah. Paul is one who is sent out by the Messiah. And in 1 Timothy 5, he gives us what I believe is an inspired commentary on <coughs> Exodus 22, 22 through 24, and all the parallel texts to that law in the Torah. I use the words inspired commentary so that everyone knows that the New Testament is just as inspired by the Holy Spirit as the Old Testament. If we believe all of the Bible, then we believe that some of the things that Paul wrote were Scripture. 2 Peter 3, 16, 17, and 18 says that some things Paul wrote are hard to be understood. And those that are unlearned and unstable, they twist them. And then Peter says, like they do the other scriptures. The implication is, is that some things that Paul wrote are holy scripture. Sometimes he gave his opinion no different than the author of Genesis when he said that Rebecca lighted off of her camel. Okay? So sometimes all the authors in scripture give you Narrative give you something that's taking place and then sometimes they give you didactic teaching, instructive teaching so that you learn how to live, how to conduct yourself. Later revelation in the Bible never contradicts previous revelation. 1 Timothy 5 is not going to contradict Exodus 22. But later revelation in Scripture often causes previous revelation to blossom like a beautiful flower. Just like we get on to people for being New Testament only. We're not New Testament only. I'm not a New Testament Christian, but I'm also not an Old Testament Christian. I'm a whole Bible Christian. We're whole Bible believers, whole Bible followers. Sadly to say, in our particular community, the Torah observant community as a whole, I see people go by the wayside, and a lot of times it starts with the denial of Paul's apostleship. 
I think it stems from shallow Bible study and a lazy spirit to where something that Paul writes might be a little bit difficult to understand. And so instead of putting it on the shelf, praying, going back and studying it, looking up some of the Greek words, looking at the context, considering the culture, people say, ah, we don't really need Paul, let's throw him out. Thankfully, some people that throw Paul out as an apostle, they're not consistent. So they continue to believe in the rest of the Bible. But the consistent ones that really do study or really do read, I guess you'd say, realize that if you throw Paul out, you've got to throw Peter out because Peter called him our beloved brother in 2 Peter 3. And then you've got to throw Luke out because Luke wrote the book of Acts, which in Acts chapter 9, he begins by telling the conversion of Paul. And then eventually I've seen many of them throw out the Messiah, go to only the Old Testament. Then I've seen some of them throw out most of the Tanakh and go to only the Pentateuch or the Torah. And then I've seen some of them go completely to atheism and agnosticism. And it all began because they threw out the apostle born out of due season, Shaul Shaliach, Paul the Apostle. It's very sad. The scriptural principle is, is that when you deny the one who is sent, you deny the one who sent him. You know, Yeshua is called an apostle. One time I told somebody that I followed the apostle Yeshua. They looked at me with a side eye. Apostle Yeshua. But in Hebrews 3 verse 1, I think, maybe verse 2, right around in there, he's called the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He's sent out too. Now, who's he sent out by? Yahweh the Father. Right? Yahweh's never called an apostle. Nobody sends Yahweh out. But Yeshua's called an apostle. So we serve Apostle Yeshua. And then Apostle Yeshua sends out other apostles. One of which is Apostle Paul. You deny the one who is sent, you deny the one who sent him. That's the scriptural principle. So I want to encourage you to believe the whole Bible. I don't disfellowship people over many things. But when people start stripping away portions of Scripture, doesn't mean I don't love them, but I have to part ways of fellowship. Reading the Bible in one way is like reading any other book or maybe watching a movie. The further you get into the plot, the more you see revealed and the more you understand. You don't pick up any book, a New York Times bestseller, you don't pick up and start in chapter 17. Start in chapter 1, so you know the major players in the book. Well, Paul was a Hebrew man from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. He knew the Torah so well, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In 1 Timothy 5, he gives us an outline about how to properly care for widows, and he does so as one learned in the Torah and one guided along by the Holy Spirit. So, before we begin in 1 Timothy 5, at verse 3, as with any of our giving, I want to start out by saying we must be careful how we give, and we must be careful who we give to. No one is required to support wickedness. You're not required to support wickedness. That doesn't mean you will never give to an unbeliever. There may be times you give to an unbeliever when you seek to influence that unbeliever by your kindness and generosity. You can be discerning. One of the gifts of the Spirit is discernment. Maybe some of you have that gift of the Spirit. 
If you don't, I think when we're given the down payment of the Spirit, we get a little bit of discernment of the Spirit. <laughs> so you be discerning on who you give to and who you don't give to. There may be times you're generous to an unbeliever, an atheist even, because you want to influence that person by your generosity. So it doesn't mean you'll never give to an unbeliever. But what this does mean is that when someone is unrepentant and someone hates Yahweh and someone doesn't care about the things of Yahweh, you are not required to fund their wickedness. So I had one guy challenge me in a YouTube comment one time. He said on my sermon, well, Matthew, you preached about giving to the poor. Send me $10,000. Well, he's being sarcastic and sacrilegious, actually. You're not required. When the Bible says give to the poor, that doesn't mean you're required to give to every single poor person you meet. You can be discerning on who you give to and when you give. So let's go over an exegesis of 1 Timothy 5, 3-16. It's a great portion of Scripture. 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, it says, Support widows who are genuinely widows. There are times, according to this chapter, when an assembly such as ourselves should support a widow in our community with funds or offerings that we gather collectively. If you're reading the King James Version or some other Bibles, it'll say honor widows that are widows indeed. The word honor often, not always, but often carries with it material support. Later on in this chapter when it says the elders that rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, that doesn't primarily mean double respect. You should respect teaching elders, but it means double what the widows receive. Probably because the elder over the assembly, he has a wife and has family. So he has to have more material support than the widow. All widows do not qualify for such assembly support. Paul is not saying that some widows aren't really widows. Any woman that loses her husband is a widow in the bare sense of the word. His point here is that there is a difference between a widow who should be supported by the assembly, the genuine widow, and a widow who should be supported by another means. Uh, here are two translations that I believe get the sense of the verse correct. The Good News Bible translates this as, Show respect for widows who really are all alone. Oh, I love that translation. This is why you should never limit yourself to one Bible translation. You need at least three across the spectrum of translation. The New English translation says, Honor widows who are truly in need. Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn to practice their religion or show their piety toward their own family first and to repay their parents. For this pleases the Almighty. So now here in verse 4 we begin to see Paul's point more clearly. Some widows still have their natural family available, specifically their children and their grandchildren. Now, this can't be talking about little fatherless children who still need taking care of. They, they're not to take care of the widow and the family. What it's talking about is children and grandchildren who are now grown up. They're older. They have a job. They make a living. They can support their mom or their grandma that has lost her husband in her old age. Paul says when this happens, we should learn to practice our righteousness, our piety, or our religion toward our family and repay our parents. Repay here is a reference to how our parents, when they were younger adults and had us as little children, they took care of us when we couldn't take care of ourselves. Little Hazel Rose, my 
newest baby granddaughter, she would not survive without Morgan taking care of her. She wouldn't. But there comes a time, though, when a mama grows up old and feeble and may lose her husband. And at that point in time, an older child or an older grandchild needs to repay their elderly parent. It falls under the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life on the earth. There's spiritual uh, to that. It's spiritual about, you know, living a long life, but it's natural too in that if we just take care of one another like the scripture commands, we'll live longer because the parent will have somebody to care for them. So it's natural and spiritual there. The last part of this text says, this pleases the Almighty, Paul writes. Isn't that beautiful? Synonyms for pleases or takes delight in, be favored, be accepted. It reminds me of the pleasing aroma in Genesis 8 that Noah offered up the animal sacrifice. So Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please Yahweh, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, there's things that we can do that Yahweh looks down from heaven, he sees it and he says, I'm well pleased in that. He's the most well pleased in his only begotten son, Yeshua. But he's well pleased in any of us brothers or sisters of Yeshua when we do what is right. We don't hear verses like this talked about very much, yet they're all through the Bible. Doing what is right pleases Yahweh. He looks down from heaven. He sees a person performing good deeds and he loves it. He doesn't say, that's just a filthy rag. That is a verse that is taken out of context from the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. It's a true verse, but it's taken out of context. He sees our good deeds. Cornelius' good deeds went up as a memorial. Noah's sacrifice went up as a pleasing aroma. We looked at it before church in Jonah 3 verse 10. Remember, they said perhaps Elohim will repent if we repent and do what's right, the Ninevites. And it says that Elohim looked down and saw their works, that they turned from their evil and he repented of what he had said he would do to Nineveh. He saw their works. We can do things that are pleasing to Yahweh. Yahweh is not a negative father who always has something bad to say. As a, as a dad or a mom, there's times when we have to give constructive criticism. Yahweh's a positive father. He praises obedience. And even when it's time to rebuke his child, he rebukes in love and care because he wants his child to turn, repent, and stay in the right path. So, verse 4 here shows the order of responsibility for taking care of widows. Her children and grandchildren should be the first to step up. If an elderly woman loses her husband, the assembly should not be charged. Her children and grandchildren should take care of her. Verses 5 through 7. Let's read this. It says, The real widow, that goes back to the genuine widow of verse 3, if you make notes in your Bible, left all alone. All alone means she has no children to care for her. Or maybe her children are not believers and they don't care about her in the first place. She has put her hope in the Almighty and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. This shows that a real widow or a genuine widow is a full dedicated believer. Verse 6, however, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this so that they won't be blamed. What we see here is a wider point about helping a genuine believer versus helping someone who's only worried about their self. There's a contrast here between a person who serves the Almighty, the real widow, 
versus a person who serves their self-desires. This command is given, as verse 7 says, so we won't be blamed in helping someone who just constantly takes advantage of our kindness. A lot of people take kindness for weakness, and some people, because they love their blood relatives, continue to give to fund unrighteousness, when really the most loving thing to do is to let go and allow somebody to be taught a lesson. Sometimes love is hard. But sometimes it's the best thing to do. We're not required to fund self-service or self-indulgence. 1 Timothy 5, 5-7. Some people see the they in verse 7 command this so that they won't be blamed. Some people see that as so the widows won't be blamed. Um, it could go both ways. It could go the people that are giving to the widows or it could go to the widows uh, receiving the money um, for ulterior reasons. Verse 8, now if anyone does not provide for his own relatives and especially for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In speaking here about taking care of a widow in your family, Paul hammers down a general point that we, specifically the men, are called to provide for the believing relatives in our immediate family or for our family in general. If we don't, he says we've denied the faith. Notice here that denying the faith is not by your speech. It's by your actions. If a man doesn't provide for his relatives, he may come to the Sabbath service. He may say, I praise you, Yahweh. He may say, I believe in Yeshua. He may say, many are our fathers who art in heaven. But Paul says if he doesn't provide for his relatives, if he doesn't prove his faith by his works, that faith is dead being alone. If you deny the faith by your actions, I think the implication is that you also accept the faith by your actions. This is so important to get, and check this out, this is in the New Testament. Christians often have in their mind that the Old Testament was so strict, and Jesus came, so we wouldn't have to be so strict anymore. But here in the New Testament, which they think is more loose, Paul says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. His point here about worse than an unbeliever is sometimes unbelievers provide for their family. <laughs> so if you don't do that, you're worse than them. You've got to live as a believer. You've got to be a follower. I like how Brother Sandy calls it. He says, I've been a follower. I'm trying to get in the habit of saying that. A true believer is a follower of the Messiah. Verses 9 through 10. Let's look at this carefully. No widow should be placed on the official support list. Good translation. Literally, the Greek is be enrolled. It's speaking about maybe a list that the early first century assembly had where if somebody was a genuine widow and met the parameters, they got put on the list and the assembly would take care of that woman with the funds they received. All right. The parameters are unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband. She's not been promiscuous, unfaithful, bouncing around from man to man. And is well known for good works. There it is again. She's a believer in her what? In her actions. She's well known for good works. That is, and now Paul goes on to explain some of her good works. If she has brought up children, that's code for she's been a good mama. 
she's shown hospitality, so she's kind to her neighbors. She does things for other people. She's washed the saints' feet. This could be both at the foot washing memorial and also in general when any traveler would come to her house, she would get down and wash the feet of the saints. It could also be a figure of speech for she serves. She serves. She's willing to do the the servant work. The greatest among us will be the one who serves. She's helped the afflicted, somebody sick, she takes care of them. And she's devoted herself to every good work. That last stanza there, Paul covers the entirety of the Torah applicable to a female. She's devoted herself to every good work, every part of the Torah that applies to her as a woman. She's devoted herself to. Now, there's a huge point in all of this to teach us. Be careful who you help and support. Remember the first part of the sermon. You are not required to give away your money to somebody who hates Yahweh. 1 Timothy 5, 9-10. Don't ever let anybody guilt trip you into giving to them. And don't ever let someone guilt trip you because you have not given to an unbeliever. And after all, when we look back at our initial text in Exodus 22, 21-27 about the foreign resident, the widow, the fatherless, and the poor, the immediate context, you know who, what all those have in common in that Torah text? They're all members of the community. He's not really talking about the unbelieving Canaanites, Midianites. He's talking about physical Israel and those who have joined themselves to physical Israel. That's who our support should go to in the first place. Verses 11 through 12. But refuse, this is where it gets a little tough here, all right? But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from the Messiah by desire, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. A young woman who loses a husband to death, and that happens sometimes, will most likely seek to get remarried. A woman that is older or elderly probably won't. She'll live out the remainder of her years single. The young woman gets remarried. If she does so, she'll have a husband, another husband, to provide for her. and She's not to be put on the official support list of the assembly. There's nothing wrong with a young widow remarrying. Nothing wrong with it at all. Paul's point here is that the older widows are just content to live out the rest of their life walking in the Messiah's footsteps, dedicated to Yahweh completely. So it's very similar to when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says this, He or she that is unmarried careth for the things of Yahweh, that they may, may be whole, W-H-O-L-E, in both body and spirit. But the man or woman that is married, they can care for the things of Yahweh too, right? They also have to care for the things of their spouse. It is not righteous for me, even as a pastor, as a minister, it is not righteous for me to study so much that I neglect my wife. I'm married. I have to care for the things of my wife, how I can please her. Now, obviously, I'm not allowed to break Yahweh's law to please her. She's not allowed to break Yahweh's law to please me. But within the confines of Yahweh's law, I have to spend time cheering up my wife. What is it, Deuteronomy 24? Maybe around verses 5 and 6. Don't quote me on that, but it's somewhere in there in Deuteronomy. It says that when a man gets married, he's not to be charged with any business or go off to war, but he's free for one year to stay home and cheer up his wife. Boy, it would be good if we practiced that. <laughs> I know a young man 
that before he got married, he saved up enough money where he could take the whole first year of their marriage off of work. I thought that was noble of him to do. So a single person doesn't have the responsibility of a spouse. An older widow is content to just be single. She's above the age of 60. My husband died. It's sad. I'm going to grieve for a while. When I get over my grief, I'm just going to stay single so that I can devote my life to Yahweh. You can do that even if you've never lost a spouse to death. You can be a young person and decide to devote your whole life to Yahweh. There's nothing wrong with staying single. There's nothing wrong with getting married. Uh, make that decision on your own. The single woman, she's not yoked to a husband. Um, there at the bottom when it says, will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. I don't think that's talking about their pledge of faith to serve Yahweh. I think it's talking about they would renounce their pledge of the widowhood. In other words, a younger widow, if she's put on the support list and the assembly supporting her and all of a sudden she says, you know what, I want to get married, she renounces that original pledge of being supported and just being a widow. I think that what, that's what Paul is, is saying there. Verse 13. At the same time, they, the younger widows, also learn to be idle. Going from house to house, they are not only idle, but are gossips. And busybodies saying things they should not say. Don't cite that verse to the feminists. Boy, that'll get you into trouble with a lot of people right there. Won't it? Even professing Christians. There's probably some liberal churches that won't read that text in their service, right? It's just all about love, rainbows, and all that kind of stuff. I believe a woman should be feminine. I believe that modern day feminism is poison. Women cannot do everything men do. Men cannot do everything women do. We are both unique. We are both special and we're both designed for a certain role in life. One of my favorite comedians is Jerry Clower. Some of y'all probably know him. He's from Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, one of them. And he said one time he was going to do a set, a comedy set at a um, hotel. And he said the main woman of the Women's Lib Convention walked in. And uh, he got to talking to her and he said, um, what are you here for? And she said, every woman in America needs liberated in some way. And Jerry looked at her and he said, <clears throat> he said, let me tell you about me and mama. <laughs> and Jerry Clower commenced to telling this head of the women's lib um, how that his wife, Mrs. Clower, uh, she got waited on and pampered on and drove around in a Lincoln Continental and ate three square meals and he bought her her beautiful dresses and at the end he said, uh, Mrs. Clower don't want you messing with the deal she's got. <laughs> so uh, back to the verse here. A young widow doesn't have the stability she did when she was married. I have seen people in my life, both men and women, lose a spouse to death or divorce, and then they think, you know what, I'm going to go sow some wild oats. They want to have a party, and it's not a righteous party. It's not a good party. Paul is telling us, be careful who you place on the support list, because a young widow might continue... 
or might not continue to live for Yahweh once her husband is gone. House to house, idle, gossips, busybodies, saying things they should not say. 14 through 15. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, specifically younger women in context, younger widows. can also apply to women in general if you go to Titus 2, parallel, but specifically in context, I want the younger widows to marry. Have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. More power-packed verses here. When a young woman gets married, when a young woman gets married, listen now, and bears children, manages a household, she is doing what Yahweh designed her to do. A woman is a nurturer by how she was created. Yahweh designed a woman to be a nurturer. There is a reason that most children grow up and talk about mama. There's a reason why Mother's Day is way up here on popular holidays and Father's Day is way down here. <laughs> they don't get as much revenue when Father's Day rolls around, right? It's because women are nurturers. A lot of times, my children will tell you, Dad was more stern. They didn't want Dad to spank them when they were growing up. Oh, Mama, get on to us. Don't tell Daddy when he gets home what we did. Because Mama's a nurturer. She's a carer, right? Doesn't mean us dads can't be gentle. But Yahweh just made us different. He made us different. A mama has a care and tenderness that a daddy often doesn't have. Men are designed to work hard and provide. Women are designed to manage the home and take care of the children. A husband and wife can both be a solid rock in the family. But Yahweh made men and women different in spite of what modern society is trying to tell us today and going against what everybody's thought for the last 6,000 years of humanity. We're different. Yahweh made, as the old joke says, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen? It needs to be repeated in, in Sabbath service. We have little children. We don't want them growing up and hearing something that there can be an Adam and Steve. Right? It's just, it's not right. It's, it's not how Yahweh designed it. Some of the younger women in Paul's day had turned away to follow Satan. Verse 15. That's real strong. That's a lot stronger than I'm usually in my sermons. <laughs> but they turned away to follow Satan. There's only two ways. You either serve the Almighty or you serve the devil. If you're following the Torah, you're following Yahweh. If you abandon the Torah, you're following Satan. We don't like to think of people as Satan followers, unbelievers, but that's what people are whether they say it or not when they don't follow Yahweh. Somebody might say, you may hear somebody say, well, no, I just want to do my own thing or I want to follow my dreams. All of that is a cover-up for I don't love Yahweh. I want to follow the way of the adversary. There's only two ways. Yahweh's way and the way of the devil. The table of Yahweh and the table of the devil. You cannot eat off of both tables. You've got to pick which table you want to feast at. I promise you, your life will go so much better if you feast at the table of Yahweh. I promise you, young people and, and older people as well. you got to feast at Yahweh's table. Last verse, verse 16. If any believing woman, some manuscripts add believing man, by the way, here. So if any believing woman or man has widows, she and or he should help them. That goes back to family taking care of family in verse 4. And the assembly should not be burdened. Burdened how? 
By being kind and loving? No, burdened by financially supporting that widow. So that it, the assembly, can help those who are genuinely widows. Genuinely widows means older widowed women who have nobody to take care of them. The assembly is commanded to support those widows from their funds. But if they have family, children, grandchildren, learn your piety first at home. We are required to support widows, but they are guidelines, they're parameters in the Bible. Each family is the first go-to for support. If the family is no longer there, the assembly is the second go-to for support. And finally, as I close, when supporting someone, as we've learned from these verses today, it is okay to examine their life to see whether or not they deserve Yahweh's tithe. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. Nobody is perfect or sinless. I'm not saying that. Nobody's perfect or sinless. But all through the Bible, there were people that actually lived a righteous life. Matter of fact, if you went to a righteous person, they would tell you, I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. Because they're humble. But yet you back off and you look at them and you watch them for days, weeks, months, and years and you see them serving Yahweh over and over and over and over again in the good times, in the hard times, in the rough times, through the tests, through the trials. They still serve the Almighty. That's a genuine believer. In this case, it's a genuine widow. Somebody that is old and still in service to Yahweh, they put their time in as a person through their life and they've been faithful to Yahweh and their neighbor and brothers and sisters we need to be faithful to them when they're old and they need help so let's help people but let's help people with discretion be discerning in your giving catch this when you discern properly give generously give generously don't hoard your wealth don't hoard your money brother TJ talked about this in Acts 2 43-47 I would encourage everybody you need to go back and listen to that sermon again, specifically verses 44 and 45, where they had all things in common. Nobody had any lack. They were watching out for each other in their community. They realized that what they worked for and made didn't just belong to them on this earth, but it belonged to a needy person in the community as well. And we're going to help them out. I'm not going to sit over here and have a surplus and then this one over here don't even have a meal to eat for supper. Oh, it irks me so bad when preachers get up and beg and beg and beg people for their money. And you got people in the congregation that can't pay a light bill or need a tire or tires for their car. Listen, if there's ever anybody in this assembly that is in need, all you got to do is come to the elders. We'll help you out. I promise you. I promise you we'll help you out within our power, within our, within our reach. Sometimes you may give to an unbeliever. Sometimes you may think this could have an effect on their heart and on their life. Yeshua taught us that when a Roman soldier compelled you to go one mile, he said, go with them an extra mile. And that Roman soldier would scratch his head and said, my goodness, I've only asked them for one, they're giving me two. Maybe I need to check out this Messiah, this master that they follow, right? Somebody asked for your cloak, give them your tunic too. You're going to give me your tunic too? Who do they serve? So sometimes it's alright to give to an unbeliever. But you don't have to give your money away to people who hate Yahweh and have no signs of repentance in their life. Do you love Yahweh today? Hallelujah. Don't you love His Word? Amen. His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May you receive this today not as the Word of man. This is the Word of an Apostle of Yeshua. This is an Apostle that wrote this. 
we should revere Him as such. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall think on it day and night. Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do, so that you will have good success. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, but stay on the narrow path. Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do, so that you will have good success. I love everybody. Shalom, shalom.